0: Morning church family, uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I wanna give a little special shout out uh, to my mom just in case she's watching uh, the live stream. Happy Mother's Day mom or my mother-in-law, happy Mother's Day or my sisters, happy Mother's Day. Uh, everyone else also, uh, happy Mother's Day here and online. Uh, we certainly love our moms and uh, uh, they, they mean uh, a lot to us for sure. So we hope uh, you have an incredible Mother's Day and uh, you get some time with kids and family and it's awesome. Uh, Hey, listen, if you have your Bible, um, I would invite you to open to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, We've been in a series for the last several weeks titled Exiles. We've been looking at uh, how followers of Jesus in the letter of 1 Peter lived like Christ, even in a culture um, that disagreed with what they believed. And so we kind of equate that to today. We live in a culture that doesn't necessarily have the same standards as God's, and we learn a lot from this letter on how we can live in our culture today, even though we may be exiles or outcasts or foreigners, how we can represent a kingdom that is not of this world. So 1 Peter chapter 4, as you're turning there, I saw a number of uh, different videos this week about moms. I don't know if anybody else saw those, if your social media uh, sites were, were filled with those, but um, there are these little funny, like stereotype uh, videos out there about people acting like, you know, a, a baseball mom or acting like a Southern mom or uh, acting like a Christian mom or whatever the category may be. Insert whatever kind of mom you might have, and there are all these little videos that kind of give you the typical stereotypes of what those moms do or what. They say or how they act and you know, they're they're kind of funny. They're partly true uh, But they're also uh, just funny as a matter of fact I've always heard that if you get picked on it's just because that's how much people love you So moms all those videos out there that are picking on you. That's how much you are loved uh, by the people around you. But anyway, uh, as I was seeing those videos, it really kind of made me think about stereotypes um, in general. Now, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Have you ever been to another country and they thought something about Americans that wasn't true? Has anybody ever experienced that before? Or you've heard that, or someone else told you that, whatever that might look like? I- I'll give you some examples of what I mean. Um, a lot of times, if you go to another country, they might think that all Americans are rich. famous. I've had that happen before. Like, oh, you're from America. You must be on TV. Well, actually, I am. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, rich is probably not the case for all of us, right? Um, We're all fat. I've heard that before. Uh, Obesity is all uh, Americans are. As a matter of fact, Corey told me this week that the reason they think that is because they think we eat McDonald's all the time. I don't know if that's true, but my kids would certainly be down for that. Um, They think we're hardcore patriots. They think we're all obsessed with guns. They think we don't know enough about soccer. Now, listen, there's a lot of stereotypes in other countries about who we are as Americans. And, of course, we would disagree with that. And, you know, getting the opportunity, we would try to help change that perspective, right? But here's the truth. We do this about other countries, too. Do you agree? Like, we in America sometimes just think because you're from whatever part of the world you might be from, then you must fit whatever that stereotype is. Let me give you a couple of examples. Have you ever met someone, you probably have this person in your family who, if someone speaks Spanish or they have brown skin, they're automatically Mexican. Doesn't matter if they're actually from one of the dozens of other Spanish-speaking countries in our world, they have to be Mexican automatically, right? Like, I don't know if you have that person in your family, but I have that one uncle who always thinks everybody is a Mexican. Or I'll be honest with you, when I think about like the UK or London, I just imagine that at two o'clock every afternoon, a bell goes off and everybody drinks tea. Like they just completely stop and they drink tea no matter what's happening. It's gotta be illegal um, not to do that. Or Italians only eat pizza and spaghetti. Or all Australians have a pet kangaroo in their house. Or how about this one? Asians are smarter than every other human being on the planet. Right? Like there are stereotypes that other countries have about Americans. There's also stereotypes that we have as Americans about other countries. But can I tell you this? There's also stereotypes in America about other Americans. I'll give you an example. I will never forget uh, this particular memory. I had just moved from Mississippi to Ohio. I was a teenager. And I'll never forget my first day of school, someone was amazed that I had shoes on. They just thought everybody in Mississippi walked around barefooted. They didn't think we wore shoes here. Now, I know it's kind of silly and certainly not true, but. We have these types of stereotypes, we have these types of perspectives about each other and about other people across the world. Now what's interesting to me about this is when we meet somebody from somewhere or somebody meets us from somewhere else, we get the opportunity to break those stereotypes, right? We get the opportunity to change people's perspectives about who we actually are. Like for instance, my friends in Ohio who now know forever, Mississippians do wear shoes. All right. Glad I could clear that up for them. Um, Or all of my many Spanish-speaking friends who are from El Salvador, Belize, Honduras, and not just Mexico. There are actually other Spanish-speaking people out there. Or um, I have a friend who's in the UK right now. He's serving with the military, and he did confirm for me there is not a bell that goes off at 2 p.m. in the UK every day that says you have to stop and have or if any of you have some particular friend from another country that thinks all Americans are rich, just bring them over here, introduce them to me and then we'll end that discussion completely. Now, the obese or fat part, we might have to deal with that one with somebody else but nonetheless, we can alleviate, right, some of those different perspectives and some of those stereotypes. Now, you say, Danny, why are you rambling on about stereotypes? Well, the reason is because in this same way, people have thoughts about what Christians are like. And really, in this same way, we do represent a place that is very different from the world in which we live. We're from another country, another kingdom. And when we get to show people what that kingdom is like and what people who are from that kingdom is like, we get to break those stereotypes. We get to correct the perspectives that people have about following Jesus. One of my favorite verses that really kind of helps us understand this is in 2 Corinthians 5.20. And it's when Paul told the Corinthian church, we are ambassadors of, of Christ, We represent a foreign land, a kingdom from another world here on this earth. We're that representation. We are the kingdom people. Now, with that in mind, if that's true, what do people know about the kingdom based on your life? Think about it like this. If the only thing someone knows about Jesus is through you, what do they actually know? Are you breaking the stereotypes? Are you giving them a better perspective, a real perspective of what Jesus is like and what the kingdom we're from is like? One commentator wrote this. He said, Peter reminds us that because our citizenship is in heaven, the world in which we dwell isn't our true home. We are representatives of a different kingdom. And like foreign tourists from an exotic land visiting another country, we may be the only way people get a picture of what God's kingdom is really like. That's what we want. We want to give the world a picture of how beautiful the kingdom is, how incredible a relationship with Jesus is, how important Christ should be. To every life. We want the opportunity to show them the kingdom. We want the opportunity to live as kingdom people. And I think this is exactly what Peter's trying to help us with in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at it with me. We'll, re, we'll read this. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you just to look at what Peter writes about kingdom people. Here's what he writes. He writes, since therefore. Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's there's a huge difference right there in kingdom people, right? Once living like the world, now living like for the will of God. He goes on, he says, for that, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he lists them. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. By the way, this is not an inexhaustible list, but he's giving you a picture of the difference between a life for Jesus, right? Kingdom people versus what we were before we started following Christ. And then in verse four, Peter goes on. He says with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are they might live in the spirit the way God does Now watch this verse 7 the end Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now look at it. This is a picture of kingdom people. Peter's giving us a a beautiful picture of what we can do, how we can live, so that we can break the stereotypes, so that we can give people a better perspective of what it actually means to follow Jesus, what's really important to us, and how we want to live for the sake of the gospel so that people's lives can be changed. So I want to answer this question. According to Peter, how can we live as kingdom People. How can we refocus our attention so that we are, in fact, giving people a better picture of the kingdom? Well, let me show you. I want to point out a couple things for me that I feel like Peter's helping us understand to live as kingdom people. Number one, we live as kingdom people by understanding that suffering comes. we got to understand this. This is a, this is a huge truth on the front end of following Jesus. Here's what Peter wrote. Look back at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now listen to me. Suffering for the early church was not new. Suffering for Peter was not new. He knew that the church would have to understand and embrace the fact that if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be different than this world, if you're going to walk like a kingdom that is not of this place, you will experience suffering because you are different. You're an enemy. You don't belong here. Now listen, you know what's interesting about this? Jesus makes this comment all the time. As a matter of fact, if you've ever thought that, man, when I follow Jesus, everything will go perfect, there'll be rainbows and and butterflies and everything will happen how I want it to and nothing will be hard, nothing will be difficult, everything will become mine. I gave my life to Jesus, now everything should happen like I want. If that's what you think following Jesus looks like, someone tricked you because Jesus is clear. He says, listen, before you make the decision to follow me, you better count the cost. You don't build something without knowing what it's going to take. You don't go to war without knowing what it's going to cost your army. You better realize following Jesus is going to cost you something because suffering will come. As a matter of fact, he's not just understanding this as someone as a part of the early church. Peter's not just understanding this because he suffered himself. He uses Jesus as our picture of why and what suffering looks like. Listen, the gospel reminds us over and over again about the suffering of Jesus. I mean, we can think about it in every aspect of his life. He suffered in his birth, right? I mean, he didn't have a huge kingdom that he came to. He wasn't born in this elaborate hospital. He didn't have all the medical stuff that he, no, no. He didn't even have a place in order for him to be born. His parents were fleeing for their lives because the king wanted to kill him. They had nowhere to call their own. Jesus suffered from the moment that he was born. Jesus suffered in his life. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Just think about all the people that he made mad. The fact that he was running from here to there just to do ministry. Think about all the mocking. Think about all the punishment. Think about the trial. Think about eventually how they would kill him. His ministry was never about ease. It was challenging. He suffered. He suffered in his death. He didn't just go quietly into the night. No, it's a huge spectacle. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. They put him on a cross and buried him in a borrowed tomb. Peter's talking about suffering to the early church because this should not be something that we are unaware of. This should not be something that we don't expect. If Jesus suffered, if Peter suffered, if the early church had suffered, can I tell you something, friends? You better go ahead and embrace it as a follower of Jesus. Don't be surprised about your struggle. Suffering will come to those who will be kingdom people on this earth. I was talking to somebody just this morning. They were sharing how their mom had went through a couple of surgeries recently and she's just kind of down because she thought she'd be doing better by now. She thought that things would be healthier, that she'd be moving like she wanted. She didn't think she'd still be in a recovery mode. Now here's why. Because she had people tell her about these success stories. These people who like defied the odds, right? Like everything just went the way it was supposed to and they were walking like the next day and everything was great. But here's what would have helped her a lot more. If she would have known that honestly, it was going to take a long time and the recovery was going to be difficult and that it wouldn't be for a while before she could get back to normal. Now she would expect what's happening, but instead she expects something different. I wonder how many Christians are following Jesus now and experiencing suffering because somebody told them they wouldn't, because somebody told them everything would be great, because somebody told them everything would go their way, and now they don't know if they even want to follow Christ because they never realized that it was actually going to be difficult and not easy. They never realized that in order to be kingdom people, we have to understand that suffering will come. This is why Peter reminds the early church to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What in the world is Peter talking about? What about the same way of thinking? Well, listen to this. This is what one commentator wrote about what was happening in the world then and now. Listen to what he, how he put it said, Christ has not sent us into the world as vacationers on a self-guided tour of a playground, but as soldiers on a tour of duty in a battlefield. We are not called to kick back, relax, take in the scenery, and wait for our guide to take us home. Rather, we are engaged in a fierce conflict on foreign soil. We need to arm ourselves with the spiritual armor to withstand the temptations of this world. This is why Peter uses the phrase arm literally spoken of soldiers who have taken up their armor and taken up their weapons. Why? Because the battle rages on. Friends, if they would kill Jesus because of what he represented, why would people who follow Jesus not expect the same thing? Why would we think it will be any different from us? We need a better understanding of what it means to live as kingdom people by understanding that suffering comes. Here's what I think Peter means with this same way of thinking as he wrote it. I I, I think he modeled this incredibly. I don't know if you remember this from Acts chapter 12, but it reminds us of a time where Peter's dealing with suffering. He's been imprisoned for his faith in Jesus. He probably just assumes that he's about to die because of his faith, and then an angel comes, frees him from prison, but when the angel gets there, it doesn't find Peter twiddling his thumbs, sweating bullets, doesn't find him banging on the doors or pleading, oh, woe is me. No, 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 you know what Peter's doing when the angel comes to release him? He's sleeping. He may be getting the best night of sleep he's gotten in days as he's sitting in a prison awaiting what he thinks will probably be his death. Why could Peter sleep at night knowing what was to come? I think it's because of the way of thinking he had for himself. You say, what do you mean? He knew that Jesus had separated him from sin and set him apart to serve, and that would mean he would suffer. Can I give you a picture of this? I'm going to go quick. I think Peter explains it through the next couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 4. He wants us to understand that since Christ suffered, we will suffer. He wants us to realize that we need to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. And I want to show you why. Here's why. Because people who've repented from sin will suffer. You say, what do you mean? We are now no longer a part of this world. We're not on the inside anymore. We're on the outside. You know what happened when we said yes to Jesus? We said no to this world and this culture. We said no to the sinful way that we used to live. This is why Peter says, for those who are now following Jesus have ceased from sin. He says that we no longer live for human passions. He lists out a whole bunch of them that we no longer live like anymore. What's he trying to give us a picture of? He's trying to show us that because we're not on the in crowd anymore, because we're now enemies, because we live and think and believe different than our culture, because of that, you are now in a battle. And hey, can I just tell you something? You should be happy if you're suffering for righteousness' sake. Jesus says it in Matthew 5. You should rejoice if you suffer for him. You want to know why? Because when you repent and turn from sin, when you start living like Jesus, this world wants no part of you anymore. And so when you start suffering, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus I must be doing something right as a kingdom person to be experiencing suffering. Maybe it's because you're turning from sin. Paul told Timothy like this. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think it happens when we repent from our sin. I think it happens when we start serving Jesus. uh, Peter goes on, he says, we live for the will of God. We don't live like that old life anymore. Now we live for Jesus. Here's how he says it to the church at, at Corinth. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Listen to this. You are not your own for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Listen to me, friends. If you're going a different direction than the rest of this world, if you're saying one thing while they're saying another, if you're now an enemy and you're not on the in crowd, here's what happens, the more you serve Jesus, the more you repent from your sin, the more this place will hate you because it doesn't understand the kingdom you come from. It's a new purpose for our lives when we start following Jesus. We no longer live for ourselves, but God. What is it that the Lord wants me to do with my life? How is the Lord wanting to use me, my job, my spouse, my money, my anything? How can I serve Jesus? You know what else I noticed too though? Here's the, 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 the praise that we should be giving to suffering. It certainly should start saying that, hey, maybe I'm turning away from the sin that I once lived for because now I'm an enemy of the world, right? Maybe the more I serve Jesus, the more I experience suffering because this world, the, the enemy, the devil himself, does not want me living that way. Maybe... Suffering happens when we separate ourselves from this world. I think that's why Peter wrote the phrase, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. You know what I think happens? The world goes, why wouldn't you want to have sex before marriage? Why wouldn't you wanna go party and drink all night? Why wouldn't you wanna gain success and wealth at any cost? Why wouldn't you step on everybody else to make your life better? Why don't you look out for you? Why do you sacrifice? Why do you care about those people? Why do you live and walk in love? Why do you do these things? We don't want that life. You know what happens? The more we separate ourselves toward a kingdom that's not of this world, the more this world wants nothing to do with you. Can I tell you something, friends? We've got to understand that as kingdom people, suffering comes. And the more it comes, the more it might be a reflection that you're actually becoming more like Jesus. You say, Danny, why? Because they killed him. So maybe your suffering points to the fact that you are more like Jesus. Friend, we can live like kingdom people when we understand that suffering comes because we're separated from our former sin in order to serve our new King, Jesus. Can I show you something else though? I think that we certainly can see how we can be kingdom people by understanding that suffering comes. But I also think that we live as kingdom people by understanding that salvation conquers. That there is nothing greater than Jesus. There is nothing more important than somebody surrendering their life to Christ. There is nothing bigger in this world than the gospel. Let me remind you of this. Here's what Peter wrote. In verse five, he said, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Hey friend, you might suffer. There might be some things coming your way because you're following Jesus now and not this world. Because you are marked as an enemy on the outside, you will not be treated the same. Suffering comes as you pair your life with Christ. But can I tell you something that's so bigger than any suffering that we could ever experience? It's the fact that salvation conquers everything. Jesus wins. Hey friends, I don't know if you realize this. I read the end of the book. We're on the winning side. doesn't matter what happens today. doesn't matter what suffering comes. We expect it, knowing that salvation conquers it all. Listen, everybody will stand before him to give an account, living and dead. He goes on, look at verse 6, for this is why, I love this phrase, this is why the gospel was preached, Even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Don't miss that first phrase, for this is why the gospel was preached. Listen, people think they can do whatever they want and not be held accountable for it, but one day God will hold everyone accountable for their sin. Can I just let you in on a secret? Truly not a secret. The only way to avoid eternal punishment, the only way to avoid this judgment is to receive the gospel. You say, Danny, what do you mean? It's to place your faith in Jesus. Friends, this is why we preach the gospel. This is why we tell people about Jesus. You know what I think Peter means when he talks about the dead who were judged in the flesh but now live in the spirit the way that God does. There's all kinds of speculation about what these verses mean. As a matter of fact, the end of 1 Peter 3, the beginning of 1 Peter 4, there are all kinds of nuggets and things that you can wrestle with to try to better understand what Peter was communicating. But can I give you the big picture? You know what I think he means when he talks about the dead? I think he's talking about every person who's ever born on this earth. You wanna know why? Because Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are all, all dead in our trespasses and sins friends that's every one of us every one of us stand guilty before Jesus and a holy God because we are sinners and deserve punishment for our sin But can I tell you something? A long time ago, God planned to wipe all sin off the face of the planet for those who would simply trust and believe and put their faith in the gospel. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Jesus, put your faith in the perfect Son of God who came and took your place and died on the cross so that you no longer have to be dead even though in the flesh that won't change, but you can be saved, you can be changed, you can have a way to spend eternity with God, all because Jesus, the gospel, was preached to you. Friends, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that salvation conquers it all. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't leave me in that dead space, but he stepped down and he found me and he reached into my grave and pulled me out. Yes, according to the flesh, absolutely. I am dead in my trespasses and sins, but according to God, according to the righteousness of Jesus, according to his blood that was shed in my place, I can live in the spirit from now till all eternity claiming victory in Jesus. Jesus, friends, salvation conquers it all. Even in their greatest attempt to do bad, God used it for good. Even though they thought they were ending it by putting Jesus on the cross, they were actually accomplishing the very goals that God had. I love how D.L. Moody once put it. He said, one of these days you will read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. Hallelujah. Salvation conquers all. Let me just remind you how Paul talked about it in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Can I just tell you some good news? There's no sin Jesus can't defeat, friends. There's no stronghold that Jesus can't break, There's no struggle that Jesus can't overcome. There's no situation that Jesus can't handle. Salvation conquers it all. Listen, not higher education or political parties or government policies or doing better or community service or church activities or anything else that you can put in the blank to try to fix the problems in our world. I'm not saying these aren't good or they won't help. What I am saying is that they're not the solution. The problem is spiritual, and the only way we can deal with it is through salvation. Salvation in Jesus, friends, salvation conquers all. Ah, we live as kingdom people when we understand suffering comes. We live as kingdom people when we understand salvation conquers. Can I tell you something else? We live as kingdom people when we understand that sanctification continues. Can I tell you something? You're going to suffer as you follow Jesus. no way around it can I tell you something else? Your salvation in Christ has conquered all of it. But can I tell you something else, though? We're still here. We still live on this earth. We're still in this old flesh, right? We're not perfect yet, but one day we will be. Until then, we continue striving forward to become more like Jesus. Friends, if you think I'm doing a good job, I'm not. But can I tell you something? I'm working on it. I am a work in progress, and Jesus is making me more like Him every day. Matter of fact, I had a conversation with somebody this morning. They were sharing a devotional they read this week about the ups and downs of following Christ and trying to live for Him. And it was this picture that was in the devotion, and they were going up a hill. And every time they would fall, you would see a little, you know, outline of some other areas that you might have went off onto, right? But then a little bit later, you see that person climbing up the mountain again. And then they would fall off on the side a little bit more, and they would climb up the mountain again. Friends, that's all of our experience as we follow Jesus. We're not perfect. We won't be till we're standing with him in glory and he makes us perfect. Until then, we continue moving forward. We continue becoming more like him. We continue on the upward path of following after Jesus. You say, well, Danny, yesterday I had a little detour. That's all right. His mercy's new today, right? Didn't we sing about that? You say, well, Danny, you don't understand. Last week, man, I made like a, who, it was a, you know, it's been a few months. You know what, Danny? I've had a couple of years that I've been off track. Friend, I'm with you. I've been there. But can I just let you in on something? We live as kingdom people when we understand that sanctification continues the rest of our lives. We don't become perfect the moment we place our faith in Jesus. No, friends, it's a process. Matter of fact, Peter lays it out pretty clearly. He says it continues through control. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. You know what he's talking about? This word self control means to be able to reason, to be able to think properly. It means to be in your right mind. The word for sober minded is very similar. It means to be in control of your thought processes and not. Irrational I read one writer this week. It said here's what these words mean having sound judgment and a sober spirit means that you don't panic when natural disaster hits or when an Official is elected that you don't like or if the nightly news seems packed with increasingly bad news. Don't worry The motto of the Revolutionary War, Minutemen, comes to mind. Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. Peter warned the early church that the end of all things is at hand, but we don't have to worry about the end of all things. No, no, no. We're just worried about being more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. Control your mind. Point it toward Jesus. Don't get off on all that crazy stuff. That's what gets you sidetracked. No, no, no. Continue to become more like him through control. He goes on. He says it continues through charity. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. He's quoting Proverbs ten twelve. He's showing us that our greatest tool to see the world changed is through love. And not just any love, an earnest love. This word's used of the prayers that believers were praying on behalf of Peter when he was in prison in Acts chapter 9. Earnestly. Loving and seeking ways to do good for others. The word love is the word that Paul uses when he says this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all I wonder if this is the type of love that Peter's thinking about when he reflects back on Jesus. When he asked Jesus a question in Matthew 18, he says, how much should I forgive my brother? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. He just continues to make it greater. Why? Because love can change things. Man, we continue to be sanctified daily through control, through charity, through compassion. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The word hospitality means to be friendly to strangers. The, helps, the, the word helps us to understand the kindness that we should show in helping others in our world. As a matter of fact, I read from, from an author this week that the word for hospitality is a compound adjective which could be translated loving strangers. It's a fitting word in a letter in which the purpose is to address those who were now strangers in society because of their faith in Jesus. You know what I think Peter's helping us understand? He's reflecting on the countless amounts of strangers who opened up their homes to him as he traveled from place to place, sharing the gospel with people who've never heard. You know what I think he's thinking about? If anybody should understand what it's like to love the stranger, it's us because we're strangers in this world trying to tell people about Jesus. It happens through compassion. It continues through contribution. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're not just consumers, we're contributors. Say, Danny, what do you mean? We've received so many gifts from God, not to brag about because of us, they're from Him to be used for Him. Are we contributing? to the purposes that God has gifted us to accomplish. Continues through commitment. Look at this in verse 11. Whoever speaks, I love this, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, look at this, everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ah, I love it, man. A commitment to his word, a commitment to his work, a commitment to his worship. This is the picture that Peter's giving us of what it looks like to be kingdom people. Let me ask you something, friends. Are you using your suffering to point people to Jesus? Are you realizing that as a believer, maybe you're suffering because you're actually doing what Jesus wants you to do? Have you ever thought that it's really a blessing and not a curse? Listen, I wonder if somebody's in here this morning and you say, Danny, I've been suffering for a long time. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I can keep serving Jesus under these circumstances. Friend, let me remind you of something. If you're suffering for righteousness, you ought to rejoice because Jesus and the prophets before and all the messengers of God were punished because they lived for Jesus. Friends, suffering should not just be expected. It should be welcomed as we realize it's a sign that we're becoming less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus. I don't know who might be in here today, needs that type of encouragement, but if you're suffering for Christ, you ought to be singing his praises, not be, not be woe is me. Hey, I wonder who's in this room this morning. And maybe you've never heard that salvation conquers it all. I know that's unlikely for our church and our community, but I can tell you this, I'll never forget. I was 13 when I gave my life to Jesus. You know how many people at my school probably thought I knew about him? You know how many people that was in my community who just figured, man, everybody knows about Jesus around here. I don't have to tell anybody. I am so thankful that somebody told this young teenager that salvation conquers it all. I'm so glad they didn't say, Danny, what you need is more money. What you need is a better family. What you need is to uh, plan better for your future and to dream bigger dreams and to work harder. I'm so glad that wasn't their solution for my life. I am so glad that somebody came to me and said, Danny, his name is Jesus That's what you need to change it all. And I wonder who's here this morning. You need to know Jesus died for you. He offers you a solution unlike anything else. He offers you a new life if you will surrender and trust in him. Can I tell you something, friend? I'll be right back there in that lobby if that's you in just a moment. I'd love to take my Bible talk to you about how you can surrender your life to Jesus and begin following him as a new kingdom person, now reflecting a picture of the kingdom that will be your home. Hey, I wonder what believers in here need to be reminded that salvation conquers all. What neighbors do you have that need to hear that? What coworkers do you have that need to hear that? What family members do you have that need to hear that? Can I tell you something? They don't just need more of your help in other areas of life. Do you know what they need? They need Jesus. Friends, are you telling the world how salvation is victory in Christ? Are you? Hey, can I ask you something else? Do you realize you're still a work in progress? I know that most of us agree with that, right? We get up and look in the mirror every day. We don't need anybody to point out the flaws. But can I remind you of something? Just because yesterday was bad doesn't mean today has to be and tomorrow has to be. Just because you took a slight detour whenever that was, can I tell you something? Jesus still died for you. He's still working in you. He still wants to use you. Friend, listen to me, he's not done with you yet. You're still here. So I wonder what work is he wanting to do in your life? How's he wanting to draw you closer to him? What's he asking you to confess? What's he asking you to repent of? What's he asking you to do today as you continue to follow him? Can I tell you something, friends? I want to be a kingdom person. I want to live as kingdom people. I want to break the stereotypes and the the false perspectives. I want to show people what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's beautiful. And the world needs to hear about it. Will we be kingdom people? Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much you didn't leave us.